episode 239 of Global From Asia, recording in the rain. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. It's rainy, it's burning, it's snoring. Went to bed, I bought it, and I couldn't let in the morning. All right, good job, Miles. Maggie, can you do it? guys good job my kids are awesome for those listeners you know this show is older than both of them and they've been guests well they've been hanging out on some of these shows throughout the years and uh it's pretty cool we get to get to hear them and uh i got them out of here for our intro today also it's been a fun fun week for me um getting some new members into our gfa vip membership thank you Thank you, everybody, for your support. A shout-out to Melissa and Ben. We've been chatting a little bit and getting you guys on board, gfavip.com, for those super fans that want to connect with others and support what we're doing here in the in the global media world. And, you know, what are we talking about today? Today we got an interesting topic. Brian Miller, and he's uh, he's an entrepreneur and a, and a hustler, another American in Came out to China for the dreams and has had quite a up and down road. I like I like all of our entrepreneur journeys and our struggles and trying to get used to life in in China and well I'm in Thailand now I'm not in China I left China but uh, Brian's still there and we had a great conversation about some of the nightmares he's been through and how he's turned these around and made some amazing business moves and I. I'm happy to hear it, and I'm happy to share. Let's tune in to the Brian interview. Are you looking for a Hong Kong agency to help you with your upkeep or registration of a Hong Kong Limited? Check out Unipro Consulting Limited. We are an equity partner in the firm, which is a local CPA practice that has the accreditation to register and upkeep your Hong Kong company. Check us out on the web at www.uniprohk.com www.uniprohk.com Okay, thank you everybody for tuning into a Global From Asia podcast. We have a f- actually we talk about the title for a bit before we start recording. I'm excited for today's show. We have Brian Miller uh, discussing how tragedy creates opportunity. <laughs> how you doing, Brian? Great. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate for you uh, having me on the call and um, or on the podcast. And I look forward to telling the listeners a little bit about my tragedy and how I turned it into an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for this discussion. So a little bit background how we know each other. You've, you know, you're been in Shenzhen for quite some time, and you've uh, we've met in different communities, and you're also supported a few of our Global From Asia events and uh, and other things we're doing in this community. So I really, I really appreciate that. And do you want to maybe share a little bit? You have so much different experience in China and, and business uh, in, in Ch- Asia. Do you want to share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, a little bit about me. I'm Brian Miller. Um, I run a third-party logistics warehouse in Shenzhen, China. It's called EasyChinaWarehouse.com. And we do third-party logistics and shipping for Amazon FBA sellers. And basically anyone 
that has e-commerce or is creating products in China. Um, and this is actually my third business in China. I also run a mid six-figure Amazon FBA company and a product sourcing agency where I help people, mainly in the U.S. and Europe, uh, some Australians, uh, create and launch new products that they uh, want to develop in China. Um, so that's kind of what I do now, basically. <laughs> nice. Yeah, which we'll talk about how you got to this point in, in today's show, which is cool. And there's uh, there's a long journey. So I guess today I, I'm excited. It's, it's, a, it's a story pod style podcast. And we'll also be learning. But, you know, I think uh, from the outline we've been going back and forth on, I think we'll start from your journey coming into to where you are today. So I remember this, you know, the 2008 crisis. I was in China, had just arrived in China from end of 2007. How did this start for you at the, the crisis of 2008? Yeah, I mean, I think this really kind of started the, my journey that, that made me get out to China. But I graduated in 2008 uh, from university. And during that time, jobs were, were not so easy to come by. And also, to be honest, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so, so what I did instead of like jump right into a career was I actually left the U.S. Um, and I ran off to to Spain to teach English for a year um, just to like clear my mind and try to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and and after some time, basically, uh, of teaching and when I finished. Uh, it didn't really help with me figuring out what I wanted to do. But I did have a friend in Taiwan, um, and he told me that I got to get out to Asia. So he said, everything's happening in Asia. <laughs> it's so hot. you got to see what's going on. And um, he convinced me that Asia is where the future is. So with with that recommendation, I actually flew out to visit him. And, and had only planned to stay for two weeks. Um, and now, almost 10 years later, <laughs> I'm still in China. <laughs> so um, that, was, that was kind of the beginning, and, and it hasn't ended. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a common story. I think for me, it was uh, six months <laughs> was, my, was my trip <laughs> supposed to be. And it's... Uh, it's true. I mean, of course, I guess we both agree we're still in Asia and still doing business here. So, so you've um, we're learning Chinese and and getting into the manufacturing world, or yeah. So, so right when I got to Taiwan, my my two week plan to stay quickly um, lengthened, and I started studying Chinese and basically telling all my friends that I was going to China to do business. <laughs> and, and everyone thought I was crazy. Actually, I had friends that actually laughed at me. They said, that's, that's crazy. Um, and people, you know, you're only going to get there. You're probably just going to teach English and, and, and you're not going to do anything. And that really gave me kind of the fire to, to, to really, you know, clamp down and, and learn Chinese. And I studied in Taiwan and then moved to Beijing, where I continued study on a scholarship. Um, but at that time, it was not like Taipei. It was not what I thought mainland China was going to be. I'm sure you've been to Beijing. Like, it's a big city. There's a lot of people. <laughs> the pollution is not so nice, <laughs> you know. Um, 
it was something I didn't expect uh, when I got there. Um, but I spent every day for a year studying Chinese in the morning. In the afternoon, I worked for free to get experience. I, I took a bus 50 minutes each way oh, to work for someone for free. <laughs> and then at night, I spent literally every night for a year writing Chinese characters. And that was my, <laughs> and breathing smog in Beijing. That was my, <laughs> that was my Beijing experience, basically. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to, you know, I met my wife in Beijing and I tried to get convinced to stay there. But uh, yeah, the smog is one pretty big challenge to, to deal with, right? I mean, Jesus. I mean, yeah, now it's a little bit better from when I was there, I think. I don't know if you've been there recently, but I, it's um, been a few years, at least three or four years for me. Yeah. So. So yeah, but that was that was how I eventually, and then to lead into when I started manufacturing, it just um, after I finished studying, I I literally didn't really have any choices. I had about one choice, <laughs> and I had around a thousand dollars left to my name, uh -huh. um, and it was it was at a point where I thought I would go home to the U.S having spent two years studying Chinese and not use it. And it was pretty terrifying. Like I, I, I was desperate to find anything. And in the end, this is where it brought me to manufacturing. So I, I found a job working for a Chinese state owned manufacturer. So I, I basically, I worked, I started working for the Chinese government is what I did. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I was like, I was on the other team, essentially. That's what, I, that's, <laughs> that's what all my friends told me. They're like, you're, you're working for the other team or the enemy or something <laughs> yeah. like this. You, know? you joined the, uh, you joined uh, the dark side. I guess the dark side. Yeah. At the time. But, but for me, it was like, um, well, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I didn't have many other choices, but it was also an opportunity to, to learn more about how China worked. So, um, I went to Hunan and, and I started, uh, doing and managing this company's, uh, North American export market. So we were making um, industrial components, and I was helping them export them abroad. So it was it was really really interesting experience, <laughs> and I learned a lot about manufacturing. This is when I started to realize that I could use some of these skills to help other people, um, for people that were having challenges making stuff in China or exporting, essentially. I understand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so this this uh, I guess that's the best way. Of course, the best way to learn is you came you came out here and then you even worked inside of a SOE they call it or state-owned enterprise. Well, Chinese government at least owns some or all of it. I usually I think I'm not so familiar with with these things structures, but yeah, you that's um. So then you were there for quite some time, right? Yeah, so I spent I spent five years. Um, at at that company and um yeah we we it was a tough time because um it was a smaller city in china yeah like, i know china i've heard of, i haven't been there but i heard of it yeah china's broken down as we know like for first tier second tier third tier and so like the big cities like shenzhen and guangzhou and beijing are all first tier and 
uh, my city was like a third tier. So it's a less developed, um, smaller city within China. I mean, by small, it was still a million people. But by China standards, that's quite small. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's funny in China, small cities are like freaking massive compared in the U.S. or Europe. But uh, that's just the way it is here. Um, but yeah, I could understand. I mean, how hard it must have been to live live there and work there. Um, so then that was. So let's let's go into years here. So then, uh, I guess that would be about 2013 or 14 that we're at now about or yeah i would uh, a little bit later actually were you know i worked for them for yeah i guess during that time i started to get antsy and i started uh, an fba business with a friend of mine on the side so we wanted to try i wanted to kind of use my skills that i was learning to actually put it to use and um we started the business and uh uh, some time after, maybe a year or two, I, I kind of got frustrated and tired with the, the state-owned company, and I decided to leave and move to Shenzhen. So even though the business wasn't making any money <laughs> and I didn't have a really good plan, I still figured, um, I, you know, I just wanted to try to see what I can do to, to, to build this business or help other people source. So that was kind of the goal when I left. Got it, got it. And then, yeah, of course, Amazon is a great, I mean, it's a popular topic on this show as well as, you know, around the world for entrepreneurs to get, get income. And so you started doing that and you were also doing, helping others with sourcing. Um, how did, how did, how did that whole process go? Yeah. So I think as a lot of people that try to start like a consulting business, um, I, the first thing that I went to was Upwork. So I think it's an easy way to kind of get your name out there and build a profile and um, get some leads on, on work to do. Um, so that's kind of how I started. And I basically took everything I could. <laughs> like, like I, as anyone that starts, like you just, you just take any work you can. Um, but I was particularly bad at, at making deals with people. So mm. signing contracts. Oh. And what I did is I kept taking a very small, like, fee to start. And all of my earnings would be based on commission on product ordered from China, which is a fairly uh, common model in China for sourcing agents. But I started to find that I had a few clients that I was working months for, and I wasn't getting paid. I basically was just working for people for free. <laughs> like, like that's that's how my business started. It's just <laughs> working f for free. <laughs> mm, which is a way to learn. I mean, of course, it's not the ideal way, but it's it's a way. The school of hard knocks, they sometimes call it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was um it was a definitely a learning experience and I continue to do this. I actually had a friend that would constantly tell me that I hated money <laughs> uh. because every, every deal that I signed, it ended up that I was working a ton and I was never getting paid. <laughs> mm. So, so this was like the story of my sourcing business to begin with. Um, but this sourcing business is actually what led me to, to what I do now primarily is, which is logistics, the logistics company. Um, so sometimes in, 
you know, bad spots, we find like opportunity essentially. Definitely. I mean, <clears throat> I feel your pain. I did sourcing too for many years or, you know, I think it's a good, a lot of listeners too, or, you know, get started in a sourcing game. Like you, I think probably the big takeaway from, from your uh, sharing is like you said, it's, you, you know, everybody still, even, even today, you know, people still want sourcing help and a lot of times it's referral based or, you know, you move to China or you, you tell your friends I'm in China and they're like, oh, can you help me find a product? So you can definitely get the experience and, uh, and learn the industry by just being a sourcing person, getting, getting, yeah, like, like, you know, we're both, I think, nice, too nice or we were helpful people. And I, I feel like <laughs> I've also gotten told so much I do things. I hate money too. Honestly, it sounds like so many people say to me too. But uh, yeah, especially with sourcing, because yeah, people don't want to pay, and they think it's just oh, you just go down the street to the factory and just knock on the door and ask them to give you a price. And you know, a lot of times, people don't really they're just not educated on how much more is involved than than just like making a call or stopping by a factory. You know, like there's a lot of work to sourcing that uh, I think a lot of times people back home don't don't realize. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, like we're saying in this show is, you know, um, tragedy or, or pain or uh, or school of hard knocks or, or uh, creates opportunities. So that's what led you to where you are today. Uh, I know there was some juicy story we learned and uh, that's even inspired this show. So, so um, you know, you're, you got the Upwork, you did the sourcing, you were, hated money, getting told you hate money, um, you felt dumb, you know, I think. Which is common. I mean, entrepreneurs starting their own business is really, really hard. You know, I think most listeners uh, are have done it or are in it now, and there's that roller coaster emotional ride. Um, and uh, so, so, um, so what? What? Um, you know, where, where's where are we next in the story here? Yeah. So I, I actually absolutely agree with the whole sourcing thing from the whole experience. Like I have so much more respect for sourcing companies and what they do. Exactly, it's really, right? really tough work. It's really tough work. It's hard. You're, people, yeah. yeah. They don't realize, I think even listeners don't realize, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So it, it's tough work and I learned a lot, but, but this is what brought me to the, the, the final, you know, you know, big idea that, that, um, I was able to create and essentially one of my sourcing customers, uh, he was a large drop shipping company. He was a seven figure, uh, revenue company a year that had only been open for two years. Um, and they were growing really fast. I think they had around 20 people and they had, I had been doing sourcing work for four or five months for them and they were happy with me and asked me to help them set up a fulfillment center in China to help them more efficiently source products and buy products and then deliver it to their end customers. So I was pretty excited about the idea and I took work, of course, like me in the beginning, I take <laughs> all the work. <laughs> this is a common theme. And I was also as stupid as I was before. And I didn't really take a big deposit and, and backloaded all the payments mm. after everything was set up. This is a common theme for me. Um, I've, I've fixed it now, but I couldn't figure it out for a year. <laughs> um, and basically what I did is I set up a warehouse for this guy in China. I established a company, hired an employee. We rented space. We, we renovated the space. We 
put in shelving. I had people come in to put in shelving, doors, air conditioners, everything. We bought computer equipment. It was crazy. We spent probably three or four months like putting this whole thing together. It was a really big task. And we only focused on this one project. I didn't focus on anything else. And this is another mistake I made. Um, but basically after almost four months of work with about two weeks ready to launch, um, my customer sent me a text message and he said he didn't want to continue with the warehouse. Okay. <laughs> so I literally had a functioning warehouse in China and I had no customers and I had no shipments <laughs> and I had just put like tens of thousands of dollars into this thing. <laughs> oh, um, so this is like the crisis um, that happened at the end of all this. Um, and I felt like I was in a really dark spot, you know? Um, I, so. I could imagine. I know, uh, other people, the funny thing is, I think you were, I think you were telling some people in our network, I don't want to, re I don't know if we can disclose their names, but they were <laughs> telling when I heard, yeah, I first heard you say this story to us, uh, he was saying that was what I was telling you. You have to be an idiot to do this kind of a business or something <laughs> like that. And I don't think you yes. knew that you were uh, in this situation. But uh, you know that that must have been uh, a rough one to hear. But uh, yeah, yeah, we have a mutual friend, and we were we were. I was at a cross border event actually. Your your yeah, your event in, summer, in yeah. April. Yeah, yeah. I know. Thanks for coming. And. And um, that was the time when things were going really bad this past April when I was at that event. And our mutual friend came up to me and he <laughs> told me, oh, that's a terrible business. I would never do that. <laughs> oh, man. And this is like when everything's falling apart for me. So uh, oh, it wasn't it definitely I didn't I didn't let anyone know, but it definitely wasn't encouraging when people were coming to me and being like, man, logistics is a tough business. You, you know, I've done it for a while and it's, it's really hard. I don't know why you're doing it. You know? oh. <laughs> so yeah, I had plenty of that. So yeah, you didn't give up and uh, you might have had some, I don't know, at least for me, I probably would have, you know, freaked out a little bit, lost a little bit of sleep, but uh, what, it, so you, you didn't close it and, uh, and you continued. So like, well, how did that work? Or what was the next? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think like um, I I knew from from running the other e-commerce company that or the FBA business that there was a need for it, and like instead of shutting it down, I felt like it would be an advantage to to keep it open and try to serve other FBA sellers, other e-commerce sellers, and help them more effectively manage their global shipments. Because I didn't think there was a really good solution out there. There's some companies in China that are doing similar work. Um, but they're not as good at working with foreign customers, whether it be communication and, and things like this. So I thought we could offer a better service to people that needed the service. So I, I kept it open. I didn't want to close it. Um, and what I did is I just reached out to everyone I knew. And this is really where all of the networking, like things like your event um, groups are great to, to meet people in the same industry doing the same things because – I basically called all my friends or emailed friends, family, friends of friends, and tried to find anyone that would, you know, their business could 
I could add value to their business with the, with the service. And through a couple weeks later, I found my first customer and it was kind of the right place at the right time. He was looking to switch his fulfillment and he liked the optionality that my service provided, which was more flexible. So by, by luck of finding someone within about, you know, probably two weeks, I, I was able to save the business. Like <laughs> we got our first shipments. I remember they were like a few hundred units came to the warehouse and me and my employee went to the warehouse and we had a spreadsheet, <laughs> like uh -huh. an Excel spreadsheet. And we printed out labels and I literally checkmarked each order going out the warehouse, like manually. <laughs> it was very, very primitive. Um, but since then, we've, we've grown and we've gotten a lot more customers through my network and through a lot of referrals. And um, we've built software that runs the warehouse. We've been able to add API connections to some of the e-commerce platforms. So from our like really small, humble beginnings, we, we were able to like grow and transform the business and save it uh, to something that adds a lot of value to, to customers now. So Excellent. I'm kind of proud that, that I, I, I figured out how to, how to save it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of respect I have and I'm sure listeners have for that, man. I mean, I think a lot of people have that decision where do they keep going or do they, do they, do they give up or walk or pivots or, you know, it's tricky. There's no way to really know if you should continue to keep pursuing something. It's especially in the darkest day, darkest hour. So I, yeah, I mean, I respect the, the mm -hmm. hustle. Um, so yeah, I think we can talk about some things. I think we've been going, you've been talking about it as you go, but let's maybe get towards some of the takeaways no, I think the first you have is valuing time. Yeah, so like a lot of the things I I learned is like to value my own time. So I think it's really hard when we start businesses to know how much our time is worth because we do it every day. So we, we don't value it as much, right? <laughs> we think it's easy. Um, and, and if we don't value our own time, it's hard to um, – you know, charge customers properly, uh, f you know, for the time that we spend or uh, price things properly, et cetera. So, so it, it's important for me to realize like how important my time was and the knowledge that I've built and to charge enough for my services. Because in the beginning, I was basically, you know, charging nothing or working for less than minimum wage. But I think this is part of the process that everyone goes through to start. You know, you don't really know what to charge. You have to try things. But I think it's important to change very quickly when you realize it's not working. Um, and that's the big takeaway that I took away. I took way too long to figure out to raise my prices or to change, change my pricing schedule. It took me almost a year to figure that out of not making any money. You know? mm. So that's, that's a huge thing to take away and, and to not worry about missing out on a client just because you might charge too much. I think this is a bad way to think about it, you know? And I think we think about that too much. Oh, this is a great opportunity. I just started a business. Um, I need to take whatever I can. I'm going to work for less than I should. And, yeah. and at, sometimes we do, but we can't work for, for too little, right? Um, I think that's the first one for sure. I agree. I mean, um, you know, I mean, it's a lot of times it's hard. I think a lot of times we come out of 
working for the man or working for the dark side or working for uh, a company. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we are not used to having to actually defend our value of, of our time, you know, we're, um, and it's scary, right? It's scary to tell, tell a customer like, cause I, I actually, on the other side, I mean, a lot of times the customers are trying to convince you. They're not just saying it. They don't want, they, they want you to work for free or they try to, you know, I think a lot of times, especially in sourcing or there's, you know, they're trying to customers are trying to protect their own interests. Why do they want to pay you up front? They, they try to say, Oh, I'm a big customer. I'm going to order for you. Yeah, especially in sourcing, they're like, I remember the stories be like, I'm going to order from you forever, you know, like you're going to make money, you know, just this is worth, you know, you investing on this with me, you know, why should I pay you up front? You know, I think that's sometimes a lot of times a challenge. I think um, people got to to stand up for themselves with. Um, and then, yeah, so I think is valuing your time, charging enough is something you mentioned and, uh, and then making sure you're, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree completely. Like it's, I have a lot of people that probably overestimate how much they can actually sell by like five to 10 times. And it's not that they're purposely deceiving you. It's that they actually have these goals and ambitions and these targets, but it's not so easy to attain. Right. So we have to be, I think it's important to be cognizant of that and to, um, in order to protect yourself, take deposits. So I take deposits now for my work so that even if a customer were to flake or to leave, I at least at a bare minimum can cover the cost of some of my time. Um, and it also shows from the other side, from the customer that they're serious about doing business with you. You know, if they speak with their, their wallet, right? We always hear that, but it's hard to do. You, you kind of have to make sure that they have some skin in the game, right? Yeah, I agree. Agreed. And, um, and you're, and they're not going to like this. I mean, I think listeners should realize they're going to probably, I mean, I'm sure when you first start doing this or you're, you're especially new. So I don't think it's going to be like, Oh, sure. I'll, I'll just pay you this money. I'll just pay you this fee. I'll pay you this deposit. I think, you know, if people have to be expected to get some pushback, but you got to just stay firm. And, uh, uh, I think, you know, it's maybe not gonna be the easiest transition or thing for people to do, but, uh, It'll sorry, save you from the nightmare you've been through, and I've been through similar um, types <laughs> of experiences. So, and then your th- your next one I like is um, is diversifying your customers, different types of customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this is easier said than done because when we start out, we don't have a lot of resource, right, to to spend our time a bunch across a lot of people, but. Um, if you do have the opportunity to do that, it's really good to try to um, get more than one large customer like I did. I put all of my eggs into that that one customer's basket for almost eight months without earning any money. And if I didn't pull it around, it would have taken me down. I probably would have been working at a job right now. you know. <laughs> um, so it, it's really good to maybe even take smaller jobs that have a few different customers. So so you can diversify your your revenue a bit. And I think it's super important. It's hard to do in, in, in actuality, but it's important, especially when you start. Agreed. And yeah, I mean, just well, similar thought processes we always say on the show. And I try to diversify off Amazon if you can, or even when I was on eBay in 2004, I was always trying to get my own website, you know, trying to, trying to uh, 
have multiple multiple streams of income, whether that's, you know, even with even could be different types of services. You could have the consulting and you could have the, you know, the productized service and you could have different types of ways that you um, not just customers, but also different types of ways you can receive money from 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 customers. So. I like how you say we have in our notes like doing the opposite of what you did. I guess for me, <laughs> yeah. I hope people listen, to be honest, because it seems like uh, too many entrepreneurs that come out to China or Asia are, are, are like that, though, from who I talk to. But I hope people can listen to this. Um, and then more specific advice for the China, you know, um, what would be some tips you have for people doing business in China? Yeah, so I mean my my tips are a bit more general, but I think they're good to hammer down again. I think we we always say them, but um China's quite complicated in the fact that a lot of information is not so clear. Um so you can go and and do some or ask how some type of task is done or how is it how is a, a good example is like how is a how do you apply for a credit card in China as a foreigner? If you go to five different people, they'll probably tell you five different answers, completely different, right? I'm sure you've experienced this many times. So um, I, I like to say to find good partners in China that have good information. Um, and, and when you do find these, stick with these people um, because they're going to really support your business in China um, when, you know, and you're going to get clear information about how things happen. So the first thing is, of course, the people that you choose and make sure that you you choose the right ones. That's easier said than done. Um, and then I think the second thing is just to come to China. So if you do buy product from China, um, if you have shipping partners or trading partners in China, you know, get out from behind your computer screen, <laughs> fly here. Come, come to the cities, meet the people, shake their hands, uh, have dinner with them. And this is important even if you don't have a product to develop because um, these relationships and them knowing your face and them knowing you personally will help you when there is a problem. So when things do go bad, um, I think you're going to get a better support from those people that you work with in China if you come. And come regularly to, to, to really build that relationship over time, you know. So those are like, I know they're very cliche like <laughs> um, recommendations, but but from my experience, for someone, if you don't live here full time, those are the best ways to stay in tune with your business here in China. Yeah, I, I mean, it's something you know. I'm in Chiang Mai now. I think listeners know, and, and you know, and I'm getting all these people want to do business in China, and they're asking me like. You know, how do I sell? And some people think that, you know, that they don't realize that it's not, it's not a push of a button, you know, like I wish it was, or maybe, uh, you know, I think, yeah, it's the same thing I try to tell people is, um, yeah, you need good people there that you can trust and you need to actually at least visit at least once. You know, I know it's sometimes, especially from the U.S., it's a big trip, but I don't think people really understand until they see it themselves, I think, and appreciate the complexity and the differences and the challenges and uh, what it takes. So this has been an amazing conversation, Uh, Brian. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing. And I'm sure people are 
going to be interested to, you know, maybe uh, connect with you or talk to you more? Or how, how can people do that? Yeah, so the best the best is to find more about what we do. You can go to um, easychinawarehouse.com or if you want to connect with me directly, um, my email is brian at easychinawarehouse.com. I'm sure we can like just add it to the page, right? Um, yep, yeah, we'll put it on. on the push, yeah, we always have the blog notes. So yeah, this will all be linked there. Okay, cool. And then if anyone's passing through Hong Kong to Shenzhen, Happy to add me on WeChat. We could, I guess we could also put that on the page. Yep. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna put up a little three PL comparison guide too. So it will tell our you know if you go to the website you can check it out and see what's the difference between fulfilling from China and fulfilling from the U.S. Because I think a lot of people don't know that it's even an option. And it's a we're gonna create a comparison just so people know that like this actually exists, you know, <laughs> like sometimes I tell people about what we do and they didn't know it was like possible to do. So there's some good information on the site. If you go. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, well, we'll yeah, we'll definitely put this on the show notes as always. And, uh, and, uh, thanks again, Brian, for sharing. This is fun. I, I enjoyed this one. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's nice to tell my story and I hope other people that are going through the struggle to know that, trust me, everyone goes through it. <laughs> it's yeah, normal. Um, this is this is part of the part of the business, you know. So um, know you're not alone. Know there's other people that's that it's happening to, and make sure that the people around you you have a good support network to 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 get you through those times. Like like your your community, it's a great network. You know, Thanks. communities like that are perfect to like bounce off ideas, tell people when you're in, in trouble and people can help you out, you know? So I think people should really uh, stay in tune with all these groups. It's super helpful. Cool, man. Thanks, Brian. And it's, yeah, it's, I'm glad to have you involved what we're doing here. And, uh, but it's also to reiterate the same thing. Like I still have bad days and I'm sure you still have bad days. I think uh, we're actually gonna have a show in the future. It's going to be about entrepreneur depression or business owner depression. I think, you know, a lot of times we work a lot of times by ourselves or it's lonely, you know, especially as a boss, you know, you can't really, your staff, you might not have the ability or opportunity to really, maybe shouldn't either, I think. But so sometimes things get, you know, I think, like you said, uh, we all go through this and if you don't go through this, it's almost like your uh, initiation, you know, you got to kind of um, get those scars and those uh, those uh, experience points in your uh, resume of a business owner. So, it makes us stronger. And uh, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I don't think it stops. I still have problems. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had problems before. I still have them now. It yeah. doesn't end. Maybe there's a day that it does, but I'm I, still waiting for that I day. I think that day is when we're in the box, man. <laughs> I don't think I, I've kind of realized I don't think there's ever going to be a day where it is not. That's what we deal with, you know, as, uh, as a business owner is we have to – we don't hear about the good stuff. Usually we only hear about the, the bad stuff from the company. So, but, uh, right, right, right. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Thanks a lot. And, uh, uh, we'll, we'll see you soon in Shenzhen. Yeah. I'll be back. Love global from Asia and want to get even more Then check out our members only area at GFA VIP.com. 
Here you'll get insights and access to me as well as other members in our private forum, as well as a ton of other valuable knowledge and information, as well as special connections, monthly calls, insights, discounts on product services and events, and more. Plus, it really helps support the show. Check it out at www.gfavip.com. Thank you, Brian, for sharing. And, you know, I I like people sharing stories and sharing the real grind and the real stuff here at Global From Asia. We don't like to sugarcoat stuff. It is hard, you know. Um, if anybody thought it was easy, you know, you're probably giving up pretty easily, too. So I think it's just about staying in the battleground, being a warrior, being a gladiator. I like our e-commerce gladiator, but just pushing forward. So... That's all I got. As always, show notes, goldfromasia.com slash episode 239. And if you are a super fan, there are super fans listening. And thank you for being a member. We're going to be talking about it more and doing more member stuff. You know, it's got to do what we got to do here. Support the, support the show, support the family, support the kids. <laughs> but uh, goldfromasia.com slash episode 239. And if you want to check out all of our VIP benefits, global gfavip.com hopefully I keep that domain or globalformasia.com slash vip take care everybody see you next time bye bye to get more info about running an international business please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com that's www.globalfromasia.com also be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed thanks for tuning in